Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. It's been a good, uh, it's been a good, what, you've been here a week now? Uh, six days. Yeah. Six days? Week. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a good time having you here, man. Oh yeah, it was a good time. Particularly earlier today at the, <laughs> the fried chicken. Place. Oh man, dude, Gus's fried chicken. Yeah. It's no joke, right? Uh, I'm still, uh, I'm still thinking about it. Oh man, dude. Yeah. I haven't had that place in, gosh, it's been months since we had it, but, um, when, when I do get to have it, it's like the, the best thing downtown when it comes to just good eating, dude. Good Texas eating. It's the know? best bill I've had this week. Yeah. It's good. I like being in Texas. I like being in Austin. Yeah. Food's good. People are nice. The weather is usually nice, not this week. But yeah. It usually been, is. It's been cold. Cold, gray. Yeah. I wanted to have you on the pod because I've never had you on the pod. I've had Matt Chick on here. We talked a little bit about uh, Mexico and stuff, right? And I know you've been you've been in Mexico for a little bit, and you know, uh, I, I kind of want to talk about all the writing that you've been doing and like what you're seeing out there, and just kind of how everything is going. Um, but before we jump into that kind of stuff, like, yeah, just just give give the plebs who are listening like uh, who you are and like uh, just your background so people know. Of course. All right. So my name is Gustavo. I was born in Peru. Uh, and I moved to Canada when I was a kid, Montreal, Canada, uh, which is French Canada, for those that don't know. I grew up there. I became a Bitcoiner there. Uh, I launched a few startups in Montreal. The first one was uh, called MiningX. It was purely around uh, just a Bitcoin mine. It can't, We did it six months before the provincial government launched a moratorium on the industry. So this meant that uh, we were blocked from expanding and from uh, consuming electricity, basically. We were basically just killed as a business. And then my second startup, which I'm most known for, is Verify. So I founded Verify with Machek and Tristan, who are two of my best buddies. And uh, we first, we, uh, we didn't know what we wanted to do exactly. We just, want, we just knew we were passionate about Bitcoin. We just knew we wanted to do it the Bitcoin-only way. So we started writing stuff, uh, you know, just 
publishing what we wrote, what we taught, uh, what we found out. And very, and, but we also hosted meetups at the Bitcoin Montreal meetup. This was done uh, in collaboration with the Bull Bitcoin guys. Yeah. I became friends with back then. Francis really trusted us to, to take over the meetup. So at that point, uh, we've started getting like contracts around self-custody support and other types of consultancy for, for Bitcoiners that needed help. Uh, and then it evolved from that towards uh, us working on a note product, kind of, kind of something like Umbrella. Uh, but that didn't work. So we launched an exchange in Canada and together with the self-custody support and the exchange, non-custodial exchange, we were able to create an offering that, uh, that, you know, reached the market and attracted some customers. After that, we got acquired by Bull Bitcoin. So we all joined the Bull Bitcoin team and we continued the mission there. We worked there for about a year. Um, I worked there for about a year. I was Vice President Bull Bitcoin at Verify, I was CEO and co-founder, and but that didn't work out too well either. Uh, just uh, I, I I guess I just wanted. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur, so I want to do my own thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, Bull Bitcoin is Francis' own thing, of course. Shout uh, out Francis, though. <laughs> yeah, shout out for sure. Francis uh, and I are good friends, and it was also around COVID times, you know. So. We moved out out of Canada. At first, we came to Austin. That's when I met you two years ago. Yeah. We hang out here like two months. You guys were wild, man. <laughs> wild in which sense? Just when you guys, when that, I just remember you guys coming in into Austin and like it was because Austin was still kind of growing and it was right. like people were still moving here. But there is like whispers of the bull Bitcoin crew coming, right, right. invading Austin. Of course. <laughs> and uh, we were at Capital Factory at the time. And I remember hearing wind of you guys uh, showing up at Unchained. And uh, I don't know what happened or what. I just remember they're like, yeah, the bull Bitcoin guys are in town. They're at Unchained. And I was like, what? What's going on? Like, you know. <laughs> and then when you guys finally made it into Plub Lab, um, yeah, all of y'all came in. Francis was there. Right. And we were just all hanging out, talking. I remember and, uh, that. I remember that day precisely. It was the fa- first or second day we got here. Uh, the on-chain guys, I think it was Comstrom, Phil, and yeah. uh, some other guys, they, they hosted us. It was like 3 p.m. We got drunk off tequila. And, <laughs> and then we went to Capital Factory. And I remember we were supposed to be part of uh, Plebla because we didn't know where we were going to end up. You know, we were kicked out of Canada, let's say it like that. So, yeah. Uh, and then we, we came here. Um, some of us did stay here, you know, Nate yeah, stayed yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, at the time, Sean was working with us. He stayed here. He left. Uh, and so anyways, just to say that uh, we went, we came here, but then we left. I, I moved to Mexico after that. I live in Mexico now. And now I work at Wasabi. I do uh, technical writing for them or just marketing content in general. And uh, I'm, I've also recently joined uh, Yopaki as a co-founder, as a head of uh, uh, product and marketing. And uh, and this is it. This is uh, what I'm working on now, and what I'm been looking, what I'm looking forward to talk uh, for the next hour or so. Yeah, dude. I think uh, that's the thing. That's I mean, the, as little time as I've known you, but uh, every time we get together, it's always a good time. That's first, and then the second, just the amount of knowledge, dude, that you have. Like I've, I've come to you a couple of times this afternoon. I was like, dude, right. how are you deal with this, this, and this? We don't have to go into it, but, and you're like, oh, it's because you haven't done this or you, you did it this way and you need to think about doing it this way. And, and, and it's the hard truths that, you know, that as us as co-founders, 
you know, are, are willing to share with each other, you know? Of so, course, of yeah. course. Yeah, you know, um, it. I guess it's, you just learn by making mistakes. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've, I've made my share of mistakes and, uh, and I guess I, I've learned from that. Yeah. Was there, any, just real quick before we go into the, the Mexico stuff, is there, is there anything that you learned working? I mean, I know I'm sure you learned a lot and stuff, but is there anything that like really sticks out about what you learned from Bull Bitcoin or, or from Francis or from that, the way that team ran? And then one thing that you wish you could have done uh, without, you know, saying too much, but. One, what, what do you mean? One thing I, I wish I could have done. Yeah. Just like if you were running it, what, what would you have done almost immediately that you felt like, cause there's dude, I, I felt that way all the jobs right. I've ever had in my life. But like, so those two questions, one thing that you learned that you probably would have learned anywhere else. And then. Well, yeah. okay. So first thing, Bull Bitcoin is, is really, is a very lean business. So, and I think this is a very important lesson for uh, every entrepreneur right now, particularly in the Bitcoin space in such a volatile industry is that you got to make sure you keep your finances tight, right? You got to make sure that you're not overspending, you're not raising money and spending it all, right? So if you are able to have a lean operation, in Francis' case, he just bootstrap, you know, he hasn't taken any VC funding, but he has been able to keep the company profitable and lean. That's Super important. Maybe you're not moving as fast as others, you know, and it doesn't seem that on the short term you're winning, but it, over the long term, it does make a difference when everybody went bankrupt and you're still standing, right? So that's like a, one of the biggest lessons I learned there. And what I would say, I think, honestly, there's not much I would change in, in Bull Bitcoin. I think if maybe we, when when I was working there, we launched uh, BitcoinSupport.com. And, you know, I was really, maybe I was too idealistic at the time. I really thought that going after like self-custody projects and things that I really wanted to happen uh, was the right path, although it was not the most viable business path. It did seem like, uh, I guess it was worth to try, you know, it was worth to pursue. Uh, but yeah, if I was doing something different, I would deprioritize that. I would push that to later. I would put, put less efforts into idealistic approaches and just focus more on the business side of things. Yeah. Yeah, I totally can feel that. There, there's, for me personally, just like, you know, running blah, 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 I do get the idealism part of it all and, and wanting to do the right thing for others right. and wanting to do the right thing for the space. But at the end of the day, like, it, it, you know, there's, there's, you need to make revenue <laughs> and you, you need, need to, to like prioritize like that first, right? Right. So, a business is a business. Yeah. Make money and stay alive. Yeah. Cool. Well, that, 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 those are, those are good. Yeah. Those are good reasons. I mean, I feel like, yeah, I, at the time I remember seeing that website it was cause it was called Bitcoin dot support, right? Bitcoin support.com. Bitcoin support. It's still a great website. It's yeah. still available. So still much information's on there. You can gift things away there on there. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, initially the idea was that you could like gift uh, to your new friends and family that are entering Bitcoin. You could gift to them like a self custody support package. But I think right, the, the approach that, that I would take now it would just to make it a fully open source project, you know, uh, that anybody can just use freely. Right. Well, it's, it's already that, but I would just focus on that instead of trying to make it, make it a, a, like a business thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's jump into, let's jump into Mexico. Yeah, for sure. Cause, uh, you, you've been writing a lot of articles at, uh, if you haven't checked them out, check them out. It's Gustavo Flores.substack.com. Um, so before, before we kind of jump into the Mexico stuff, I want to just kind of yeah. set the tone for 
you, these three specific articles, you wrote one called a few personal stories about Mexico's social class system, just for people who don't understand how Mexico functions as a society. Can you just kind of just run through kind of what you thought uh, about, you know, compared Peru to how you see Mexico and right. the whole social classes and that type of thing? Like, wow. Right, right, right. Well, maybe I can just give a little background of why I decided to write that. So yeah. my, my goal was to make people understand uh, because there was a lot of discussions around El Salvador and around Mexico. Is Mexico going to go the same way as El Salvador went? And I wanted to to make people understand the differences between El Salvador and Mexico and the U.S. and, and Mexico, you know? So this the, the first angle was to look at it purely from a, like a social class perspective, purely from, from how society is divided and how it works, right? So because let's say, for example, just a quick fact right here. In the U.S., more than 50% of the people buy stocks in Mexico it's around two percent so just here here you have a major difference so most people's uh, if you're trying to convince people to buy Bitcoin and they don't even know what a stock is they've never owned a stock in their life or any type of financial assets well here in the U.S. you got a chance out of two to find someone ahead in Mexico you got a chance at one out of, one out of 50 and who are these people where they're they're the upper class right they're the ones that have all the means of production they have all the wealth in Me uh, so basically in this article, I go through a few personal stories uh, that I've encountered in my two years of living in Mexico, where you clearly see uh, a s separate classes uh, that you wouldn't see in a first world country, right? You see people that are basically the servant class. They are just meant to serve the upper classes and they have basically no dignity. They, the society basically just offers them no dignity. And, and you have the upper class that is, at the same time, concentrates the wealth, but uh, does it in a way that is not too uh, meritocratic. So I would meet these young kids that are like 20 years old, 22 years old, and they're dumb as rocks, you know, <laughs> because their parents bought the university for them. They didn't have to study. They didn't have to hustle to get the job. It was just, everything was just handed to them, right? And if ever the, these people are not that worried about money because they have money, right? Are they worried about inflation? Maybe not because uh, maybe inflation happens and they just leverage their, their ownership of the government to change the rules of the game, to get everything back. Right? So these, these, the upper classes are not worried about money because they have, they control the game, they control the government and the lower classes, the servant classes is just living paycheck to paycheck. They're, what, for example, what, uh, when I was when living in Mexico and we live in like an upper class, middle upper class neighborhood, we would have security at our apartment building and the security guy makes 200 pesos a day for a 24 hour shift. So they work gosh. from 3 p.m. to 3 p.m. 200 pesos is around $12. Oh my God. So it's around 50 cents an hour for a 24 hour shift. Um, you have basically no breaks, right? You got to eat on the job and everything. Uh, sometimes they even sleep on the job because like, how are you going to make it else? Right. So that's the starting point from, from then. And that's, uh, I think like 50% of Mexicans make less than $500 a month. Right. So you get an idea how, how it works. That's crazy that, uh, that it's just that much of a, uh, a gap. Uh, and then yeah. where's the middle class in all this? Where, where do they sit? There's a, there's a strong middle class. You know, there's probably like 40% of Mexicans that are middle class, 40 to 50. Uh, but well, they're meaning of middle class, right? To the, in, in the U.S., they would all be poor. 
but in Mexico, they're the middle class. Probably you get like uh, the, the other half that is poor and like a very small 2% that is rich. Uh, the middle class makes around, I don't know, uh, $1,000 a month to $2,000 a month, you know, per household. Not much money. Uh, they Maybe the upper middle class makes a little bit more than that, two, three thousand, four thousand. Uh, enough to, to, to sustain, enough to have a car, enough to have a computer at home, enough to have phones, um, enough maybe to send their kids to public universities, not private, you know, enough to have a, a decent life. I would say enough, to, enough for me, the, the most, and this is what, what I think is the hope of Mexico and all these countries, right? Because these people have the ambition to go to very often public universities and make something out of that, you know? So that, that, that is the hope of Mexico. That is the hope of all these countries, uh, the people in the middle that, that are hustling, that are not just too wealthy to, to even get up to work, you know, or even like all these kids, they're just out there partying those that have wealth, right. And they'll, they'll have everything handed for them. And, uh, and it's, it sucks to be part of the servant class of the very lower class, but they're just so far away, right? They have to make so many steps. It's a multi-generation thing before they even reach like a university level education. So they're very, very far away. And there's, and on the lower class, there's the, the, I'm just talking about the urban cities, right? Because they're in, in the other articles I explained of how rural Mexicans live in communal land. So in Mexico, there's this term called ejido, which is basically a communal land. It's not owned by the government. It's, uh, it's leased by, it's owned by the government, but it's leased to a community, to a rural community, usually indigenous rural communities for them to, uh, to like have for like a hundred years. Oh, and wow. you, and it's like 50% of Mexico's territory that, that is an ejido. So this is not a small thing, right? It applies across the country. Uh, one out of two pieces of land uh, is an ejido. So just to say there's millions of Mexican living and these pieces, and, and they're so, so far away, right? They're, these people are living uh, with like indigenous customs. They have no internet. Uh, they basically just consume what they produce in the land, you know? So, uh, yeah, very, very far away. Gosh, dude. That's, uh, <laughs> how did you, uh, like, because you've lived in Mexico City. You've lived in, uh, where else? Guanajuato? Or uh, where well, else? okay, so when I left Austin, in November, the reason why I left the U.S. was because the U.S. was also implemented vaccines for vaccine control at the borders for foreigners. I'm not American. I'm Canadian. I'm Peruvian, too. And so we were like, uh, as soon as we get out, we'll have to show a vaccine to come back. Right. So let's just go to Mexico. Mexico's not asking for anything. So we went to San Miguel de Allende, which is in Guanajuato State. We stayed there for two months. Uh, I stayed one month in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, then I stayed one month in Mexico City. Um, I also stayed one month in Playa del Carmen near Cancun. And uh, I spent most of my time in Querétaro. Querétaro. But now, now I'm moving to Mexico City. Uh, Querétaro is like a city three hours from Mexico City. It's, uh, it's the second wealthiest city per capita after Monterrey. And it's a very beautiful city. It's very safe. It's very family oriented. It's one of my... If I was... I'm moving to Mexico City because I want to be at the center of uh, of the action, yeah, and also near like uh, the Bitcoin and the tech space. And I'm also 26, so. Uh, but if I was married and older, I would stay in Querétaro. It's a, it's a great place to be. 
Yeah. And, and so when you've seen these different areas, do you kind of, um, do you pick up on this whole kind of like Bitcoin adoption? Cause you started, you started, or was it you that started the meetup over there? Uh, yeah, we started the meetup in Querétaro, me, Magic and Tristan, uh, who I've been, um, many of the projects I've done in my life, I started with these two of my best friends and well, the adoption is really, really low. You know, this is the thing. So on most of our meetups, okay, so at least 50% of everyone that came comes to a meetup in Querétaro, but also in many other cities is an expat. Okay, so oh, you okay. got to consider this. Okay. So that means like one out of two is not even Mexican. It's someone like me. is a Bitcoiner that has moved to Mexico because of uh, tax or freedom reasons. And the Mexicans, uh, they vary. It depends on the city. If when we went to Guadalajara, it's uh, there's a tech community, there's a tech industry in Guadalajara, and you would see a lot of young Mexicans coming to the Bitcoin meetups, mostly through the tech industry, right? When we went to Mexico City, it's a mix between younger professionals and uh, expats. But when we're in Vallarta, the when I wasn't, but Patrick went, it was 100% Canadians and Americans. Uh, so it, it's mostly the younger professionals that are 30 to 40 that are into Bitcoin in Mexico. Uh, some other people, you know, here and there, but it's mostly it's mostly that. The interest is there. Uh, and they're always from upper middle class backgrounds, very rarely okay. from other backgrounds. Because like I said, the rich people, they're already rich. They're not that interested. Some are for sure, but in general, they're not that interested. And the poor people, well, they just have no idea of what's going on. Um, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much the segment I would target uh, in Mexico are young professionals. And you have a lot of that in Guadalajara and in uh, Mexico City. And other like touristic spots have like uh, Bitcoiners, Bitcoin tourists or Bitcoin expats spending Bitcoin. Like San Miguel, they entered this project called BitcoinHubs.io, where they've been going through business by business, trying to get them to accept Bitcoin. And some Bitcoiners are spending their sats there, kind of like in El Salvador. So yeah. that's happening too, uh, but it's still a very small scale. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So that makes sense about how the social class works over there and, and even like who's actually buying the Bitcoin and spending it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember when, when we went to uh, Mexico city, there was this one guy who came to one of the meetups and he was showing us his apps and, and all this kind of stuff. And he had all these, you know, these poo poo coin apps, man, they were, they were bad. They're really <laughs> bad. And he was like, this is how I buy Bitcoin. And just the amount of like, we had to, we had to tell him like, Oh yeah, don't use that. You know, but I think in Mexico, I don't know, do they have the option to use like you know, strike or cash app or anything? No, no, there's nothing like that. They're, they don't have a Bitcoin only apps. They have no, nothing, nothing is a Bitcoin only app in Mexico. Yeah. The, the biggest uh, like exchange is Bitso. It's, it's a full on shitcoin exchange. Uh, there's like maybe four or five exchanges in Mexico. Uh, I, in one of my articles about uh, Bitcoin adoption, I have an article that's just what is, how is Bitcoin adoption going in Mexico? And it's, there's like four or five exchanges. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into that. Cause that's the thing that I think I've, I've come, I realized when I was interacting with that guy and then there was another guy kind of telling me he was an expat there. Um, 
why is that dude? Like, why can't, what, you know what, let's say, why can't Francis bull Bitcoin go to Mexico and start a bull Bitcoin? That's Bitcoin only. Okay. Well, and yeah. Yeah. In Mexico. Like why can't that happen? Okay. Well, first question is, uh, the, how to, the red taping. Okay. So Mexico, yeah. like most countries in the world, except, uh, like the U S and even the U S is like that. And most countries in the world have a lot of red taping in, in regulatory in aspects, particularly in the finance industry, particularly in the, in the fintech industry. So there's this law called the fintech law in Mexico, the Mexican fintech law, where you have to, to, to open an exchange, you have to apply for that. It takes you years to get approved. You got to spend tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees, if not hundreds, uh, basically just trying to get around the red tape, you know? And so any exchange, anybody, that, any company that wants to launch a Bitcoin only fiat to Bitcoin exchange has to pass through that. And that discourages many, many, right? Because Mexico is just one of the emerging markets to look at and at a global scale. If you're an American or a Canadian company, you could go to Mexico, but you could go to Brazil as well. It's actually a bigger market. You know, you could go to Colombia. It's like maybe half of Mexico, a third of Mexico, but maybe it's easier. You know what I'm saying? You could go to Europe, get access to 500 million Europeans, maybe so, one, one okay. shot. You know what so I'm saying? So it's just, it's just not worth the, the cost and the, the time and yeah. Right. Well, yeah. that's the first part, right? That's the first challenge, which is a very big challenge. Uh, some people believe that like third world countries, Mexico particularly is like very freedom focused, freedom driven. And that might be the case for some things like the vaccines and COVID. But it's not the case at all for financial regulations. Yeah. And because they have they have a central bank there, don't they? Like they're. Yeah, like, of course. The, their origins are of a, uh, is it Banksico? Is it Banksico? Yeah, Banksico. That's the name of the central bank of Mexico. Okay. So tell me, how does that work? Why do they impose their, uh, yeah, what, like, because are they owned kind of like a, uh, are mysterious people who own the fed. Like, is it just, is it like that too? Or is it like who owns? It's, it's kind of like that too. It's uh it's, I think it's the federal government has complete ownership of the bank. I think it's more like the, the Canadian uh, setup. Right? The, no, the fed is definitely on its own league in terms of private ownership and uh, shadow banking or whatever. Like the Mexican bank is probably closer to something like, like Canada where it's this, the federal government owns the bank, you know, they have control of it and like private banks have their, their decision-making, but the private, uh, if we look at it from the, from the government perspective, well, it's all fully political, right? So politics owns the central bank. If you look at it from the private bank landscape, it's own the private bank landscape has changed a lot through history, but nowadays it's basically in control of international banks. That would be, Spanish banks like Santander and BBVA, it would be Citibank, HSBC. So basically you have a full on foreign ownership of your, of Mexicans banking control. Gosh, dude. And the peso is, uh, is that still, it, it's used predominantly in, or predominantly in Mexico, right? Like you can't uh, use cash. Of like course, of course. The peso, so... So this, this is a misconception. Some people believe that the, the, the dollar is uh, used everywhere in Latin America as like the dollar standard. I used to think that in Mexico it was widely used. 
Nobody uses the dollar in Mexico. Maybe in Cancun where there's like very, it's very, very touristic. But no, the the peso dominates the Mexican industry. Cash dominates the Mexican industry, Mexican economy. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, there you are. The peso is actually doing pretty well. If you look at it for over, I think the, the peso two months ago was at an eight year high against the US dollar. And oh, wow. that's, that's for, I think the peso to go up that much hasn't happened in, in decades because it has always gone, has always lost value. And now it's gaining value over the last couple of years. So yeah, the peso is actually doing quite well. Yeah. And that's the thing that I'm trying to, try, I'm trying to understand is like, I guess. So if, if it's the red tape, it sounds like, you know, that like you're not going to be able to do an exchange there because of that. And just, there's better markets out there to chase after. Um, the, the, the social class is not there. Right. Um, it sounds like the meetup stuff is not going on. It's, then well, is, it's, is, is, is Mexico, is, is Mexico just, uh, you know, like what, what, What's what are the, some of the what are some of the bullish things about it? Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's many bullish things about it. Okay. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I I, I don't want to sound like neg negative. I just want to give everyone a reality check because I was I was fully optimistic about it. I thought it would could be it would have it all. Right? I was I optimistic before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was no, but I was really really. Yeah. Sometimes you're just naively optimistic, and then yeah. you got to look into the details to understand the nuances and. But there's still opportunity. So first of all, um, what's what? What are the Bitcoin use cases at hand? Right, it could be an inflation hedge. Clearly, uh, this is not needed at the present. Could it be needed eventually? Of course. Could the U.S. Uh, enter in a trade kind of war with Mexico, and or just the U.S. economy uh, just starts consuming more internally and like leaves Mexico behind and the and the peso goes to, to, to the trash. Yes, this can definitely happen. This can happen in a second. This has happened previously in the past. Very unexpectedly it happens one year to the other. Boom, the treasure is, the peso is over. So not because it has gone up over the last couple of years that it means that it's stable or that it's going to keep going up. This can all end up very quickly. So it's definitely advice. I advise every Mexican person I know to invest in Bitcoin because you are very dependent on the U.S. economy. You will, it has, ha you, if you read your history and I have an article that talks exactly about this in the history of Mexico, the U.S. has abandoned Mexico many times and this has left Mexico in the trash. And also the Mexican, internally Mexico can also uh, implode. So that can, that can also happen. So that's the first case, inflation hedge. Then uh, payments, if you're talking about banking the bank, Mexico is not El Salvador. You, uh, so that's, that's probably not too bullish on that. But if you're talking about global transfers of, of wealth, how Bitcoin doesn't know borders, well, here you have the second biggest worldwide market for remittances. I think after India, Mexico is the second biggest country to receive money in remittances. It's a $60 billion market per year. It wow. mostly comes from the U.S., and here's an opportunity, you know, so, and Bitso, the biggest exchange in Mexico has already started uh, working on that. They do it with like shitcoin technology and this can be done with lightning. Uh, I think Strike announced uh, like a few weeks ago, but they haven't uh, launched anything yet. S a solution to, to, to address this 
my kid. How would Strike do it though? Because aren't that aren't they are they in Mexico or are they not in Mexico? Uh, they have a partnership with a small startup in Mexico, uh, so they would take care of the American side and the other startup would take oh, care of the so, Mexican so side. So kind of similar what they do in uh, in like these other places like exactly. Uganda. And- exactly, okay. like they do with Bitnob in Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar to that. Exactly. That's okay. the Strike strategy, which is not that. Foolish, no, it's a right? great model. I think. Yeah, because you're saving yourselves the legal overhead. And the regulatory complexities of, uh, of the other market. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to get around it. Yeah. Um, so remittances, in my opinion, is is definitely one of the biggest opportunities here. But I also consider that uh, Mexico is an unstable country. These are unstable times. You don't want to be betting on the peso. You don't want to be uh, not hedging yourself against the. Uh, an unstable change in Mexico. I have an article that just talks about the history of Mexico and how things in Mexico can change very, very quickly. The system changes very, very quickly. Like in 1930s, when the global depression hit, uh, America, Mexico was fully dependent on American exports. They were fully, they were just exporting everything to the U.S. like, like it is right now. Um, and uh, the U.S. went broke, right? So they they stopped buying anything from Mexico. So Mexico went broke and Mexico had to completely pivot its economy to something called the import uh, substitution, import substitute industrialization, which means that instead of exporting, you're just consuming everything in the internally. And that was Mexico from the forties to the eighties. So yeah, this can happen very quickly and Mexico might have to adapt to, to a new world order. Yeah. I mean, the harsh reality is just, uh, I mean, I've seen it here just in Austin uh, you know, like over here off of Riverside, you know, there's, that's, there's a big, you know, transplant community from Mexico there. Right. Uh, and even here, like South, I guess, Southeast, it's not as, it's not as bad anymore because a lot of it has been like, uh, just moved, moved, they've moved further out, but, uh, you know, it's just that whole community has just been uprooted for the most part. So it's gone. It's not as like prominent. You won't see it as, as often, but right. uh, I remember like growing up and stuff, you, there would be, you know, these kind of flea markets and stuff. And you would go there and, and, and people would be trading in dollars. And most of them would, you could tell they were mostly like illegals, right? Like, cause it, yeah. you know, now it kind of makes sense. Like if they're getting paid like $10 a day, like they could easily make that by selling like empanadas or something on the street, you know, right. you know, in, in a couple hours. So it, it makes sense why they come over here. The other thing I think was interesting though, is a lot of them uh, do send money from like, like if they, like, let's say hypothetically, uh, a person with family who's used to making $10 a day in Mexico, he, he crosses illegally, you know, he starts working at whoever, you know, wherever he is right. working at, he's going to want to send all that money back home to his right. family because, you know, he's probably making 500 to a thousand dollars a week here in the States. It's just the reality of it. Right. Um, so in that case, his only option is to go into these kind of like uh check cashing places and to send it or go to Walmart and to, right, and to send right. that Western uh, union. Yeah. And to send it over, brands. send it over. So how, how does, how does uh, a mech, how does a Bitcoin company impede in that? I, I mean, I don't see I personally, I don't see how you could make your way right. into that without getting on the gr- on the ground level, I guess. Well, it's that's definitely, that was what I was going to start with. It's part of the equation. Being on the ground is part of the equation. Talking to these people, that are that are like on you, you like you see them uh, when you walk when you're driving across Austin. They're they're waiting like on, on corners of the highway to to get picked up by 
by new job offer every day, right? So yeah, talking to people on the ground is is the first way and understanding the problem, understanding the situation, understanding how the money flows, how the money moves, how it goes from Austin, from Texas, from the US to Mexico, to Guanajuato, to Michoacan, to these states. Uh, that's that's definitely the first step, right? Knowing how to reach them, knowing how their culture works is is an important part of the equation as well, right? So, but there's not only like the illegals, there's also, uh, there's also like just documented immigrants as well that have bank accounts that make more money. Uh, there's many segments, right? There's a lot of, there's millions of, tens of millions of Mexicans in Mexico, in the U.S., right? So this is, and this is ever growing for, for decades to come. And I think it goes both ways. You know, this would be my, my third. Um, so first I said, every Mexican should get into Bitcoin, particularly the, uh, the, the ones that can afford it, middle class, upper middle class. I think that's the target market to, to convince them to buy Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, as a, as a future hedge, uh, the reason why I, I buy Bitcoin, for example, and then there is those sending money from the U.S. and Mexico. But there's also record numbers of people moving to Mexico, expats from Canada, from Europe, from Australia, from the U.S., moving to Mexico like I did. I was, I'm a Canadian citizen. Yeah. I, come up, I, lived there, I grew up in a first world country and I decided to move to Mexico. So... There's there's a record number every year of people moving there. COVID accelerated this, but it it, it it there's many other reasons why this happens, and this this is a lot of capital too, and this is considerable too, and this is a a market to go after as well. Yeah, and 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 so this this market that um, you know that uh, that that's out there, I guess I, I should say, is uh, it's going to be hard. It sounds like it's going to require some sorts of grassroots movement of a sort. Of course. It also sounds like you're going to need some people maybe who have done it before, yeah. you know, at least on the exchange side. It also sounds like you're going to need boots on the ground in both the States and in Mexico. Definitely. I'm kind of lining this up for you, but like, yo, Packy? Yo I, don't, I don't know. Like, what, the, like why Yopaki? And then well, why might it be Yopaki? Why would it be Yopaki? Like, honestly, I mean, I, I know Francisco's a killer, you know, he went over there. Yeah. Started blasting the Bitcoin logo on this. Was it, which bank was it? It was one of the central banks. Right? It was the central. Oh, it was. Those. <laughs> so he went over there, blasted Bitcoin. Uh, they you were didn't there. Know, you were there. They? If they, if they, if they didn't know who he was. They do now. Uh, so they're starting to know. <laughs> then he went on the he went on the the news over there. Yeah, he uh, went on the news. He went on the radio. Really, uh, really want the target on his back. But uh, anyway, with all that, why? Um, what's going to be different about Yopaki instead of like let's say Bitso or or somebody else? Well, I think I think it's about many things, right? So first of all, it's about timing. Bitso came in way way earlier. They they're focused on 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 the shitcoin market, you know, yeah. which is just uh, getting people to gamble and uh, and so on. They they're also not only in Mexico; they're in Argentina, and Brazil, and Colombia, and other Latin American countries. So they're divided across the uh, across the the, the continent. Uh, but they all they're also taken. I don't want to talk badly about anyone. Do you, right? do but, you know Bitso? Do you know any of the uh, people there? I've, I no, I don't personally know anybody from there. Neither do I. I, I know people that know people, right? 
Yeah. Uh, I, I just believe that a, that a business that has many cryptocurrencies just has too much risk, you know, yeah. as it depends on uh, risky infrastructure, risky, risky FTX. Right. Exactly. FTX is the, is the main example. And everyone that took FTX, that took, that FTX took under with them, right? Three hours capital, uh, Gemini, Genesis now, Gemini is getting sued by the, uh, the New York <sighs> attorney general. Uh, there are so many examples, right? So that, that to me is, is a very risky way to operate. And also, uh, I think most, most people are divided. And, um, your package mission is just to focus on this only, only this by people that have lived both in Mexico and in the U S or Canada and both in the first and the third world that understand the, how it works in, in, in different markets that can relate with the people on the ground that are willing to do the, the work on the ground, you know, uh, that have tried many of these things before that have experienced doing exchanges. So like, like you, like you introduced it, you know, I think it's, it's the right equation. Uh, and that's why I joined your packet because I, I do think your packet is the, is the best shot we got at orange building Mexico. Gosh. So you guys, you guys launched, uh, in, uh, in Mexico city, you know, was it was a month ago, a month or two ago. Yeah, it was a month ago. Um, what, what have you guys been working on? What's, uh, what's, uh, what's coming out? I know you can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> Francis will kill you, but no, just like, just, you know, let the people at, at, uh, who's listening, like, let them know what they should be looking out for. Right. Or, right. Yeah. Well, we're going to make an announcement at adopting Bitcoin next week. So that's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, you know, by then will people will see what we've been working on. But basically, our, the question, okay, so basically we went to, to El Salvador, uh, to Mexico City, sorry, and we, we had, a, we had a, a conference like you saw, and yeah. like a mini conference. And, you know, we, there's, a, there's a bunch of builders in Mexico. There's, there's a community in Mexico. So that's optimistic. That's good. Uh, and there's a lot of enthusiasm and momentum around that. But the question is, like, where are the customers, right? Who, who like, it's, it's all fun and games but we're all Bitcoiners here. We're not, you know, bringing new people on board. So your pack has been looking at some fun ways that we can get people in through, uh, through conventional methods, uh, or we could say like mainstream unconventional methods. So, so different things that have been tried in Bitcoin, we're going to launch a, 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 an application very, very soon. Uh, and we'll be talking about it more at adopting Bitcoin. We'll be showing cool. what, what the application is. Cool. But yeah, it's all very fun stuff. Do you think at some point you guys can get to a point where, you know, we can start doing like uh, DCA purchases and, uh, yeah. you know, lightning deposits, stuff like that? Definitely. It's, it's coming to 2024. All the financial stuff, 2024. But first right now, it's just a, this is more of a, uh, how would you describe it again? I would describe it as a Bitcoin uh, app, app that has a, uh, I cannot give too many yeah. details. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. I was gonna see <laughs> how you were gonna word I'm it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I no, I was like, word it. I'm like, I'm not gonna try <laughs> the bullshit here. <laughs> I won't even try. Yeah, you. We'll see in El Salvador in just a week from now, very shortly. Yeah, this will get released on Monday, so it'll be it'll be right before then. Yeah, it will just be the day two days before we're gonna announce. Uh, Francisco's stock is on Wednesday, so I guess so we, if you're listening to this on Monday, you'll. 
You have to wait 24 or 48 hours. Yeah, 48 hours. That's it. Yeah. Very, very, happens very fast. 48 hours in Bitcoin is, is like a three second. days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude, I'm still full from that chicken. <laughs> Gosh, chicken was too much. Um, what, uh, what, 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 okay. So, I mean, let's just get back to, let's just get back to the whole like bits of thing. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering this and, you know, and I've asked these questions before, but what is it about Bitso that, um, why can't they, I mean, obviously they're spread, they're spread across probably pretty thin, and, yeah. but what, why can't they, why can't they do what you guys are doing or can they? I don't know, man. I, I cannot speak for Bitso to be honest. Like my impression is, is, uh, there, I look at it, I could look at it from two different perspectives. So the first yeah. one would be, uh, it's really the, they're all in into shit coins. Okay. So their, yeah. their main infrastructure partner, I think is Ripple or Stellar, <sighs> you know? So like, they're not even like in the, let's say most, uh, most reasonable if we could say like altcoins such as Ethereum, you know, they're like in the, in the deep, deep scammy stuff such as XR, Ripple XRP. Yeah. So that to me is a, is a bit of a red flag. Um, you know, so that, that's probably the main perspective. And then the second perspective is it's about timing. Bitso came, uh, around 2014. It was a different time. They built their business around what they saw at that moment. Things have changed. You know, the, the landscape of the world has changed. We're now in, uh, uh, with, with kind of a global recession at 5% interest rates, something that hasn't been seen in 20 years. So yeah. it's, it's different to. Timing is 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 just a, a core part of of a of a market strategy, you know. And I think for them, it's uh, they're just continuing what just started a couple of years ago, which is the same strategy as Binance as as uh, as any other, you know, which is going after retail gambling at the top of the market, you know, making spending big on marketing to get everyone to buy the next shit going. And that's okay if they can make a profitable business out of that. It's that's okay for them, right? I'm not after. I'm not after that. I have a, I have a different mission. I want to go after, uh, you know, moving capital efficiently into Bitcoin across the different segments that I've established, and that's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, that makes sense. It it, uh, yeah, because it would it would probably it would probably hurt them too much if they literally just. Uh yeah, if they uh, literally shut down all the shit part, uh, you know, the poo-poo coin part, right. and then just withdrew Bitcoin, it would cut their business. And yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's about the customers. You so you follow you what your customers want you to follow, right? So if you already have customers like they do, they're gonna do what's in the best interest of their customers, and their customers are it's it's mostly uh, an altcoin casino, you know. Yeah, gosh, dude, it's wide open then. <laughs> <laughs> Mexico's wide open for Bitcoin adoption, but I have they're leaving that. the whole door open. They're not even watching it. They're just like, you know, what? come right in. We here are the casinos over here. Uh, you can have all of this. It's it's like, and yeah, well, so, I to think their own detriment a, too. It sounds like, but there's many other. Every some people are eyeing Mexico, and we're not. Yopex is not the only. Who else is eyeing Mexico? Well, I mean, I think Ibex just announced uh, with Salinas group oh uh, I, I thought they were a uh, i thought ibex just did like um what did they do again like b2b merchant yeah i just thought they were just b2b 
Uh, well, they're a B2B, but they're working with Salinas on integrating functionality of, uh, of Bitcoin purchases. I thought they white label, don't they white label their, uh, their B2B, their B2B packages? I, I don't, I don't know. I think they have an API. They, they, I think oh, they, okay. So they it should just be like an label. API or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. They oh. wouldn't be offering the, the app itself. Oh, okay. The well, consumer-facing app, but fa- Grupo Salinas has consumer-facing apps uh, in okay. Mexico. Well, that's not bad. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, it's just an API. Right. Right. But just to say that uh, things are happening. Things are moving. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, you know, I think if uh, Grupo Salinas comes in there, it gets that pie really big. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Of course. (laughs) Hopefully there's enough slices for everybody. Um, I think think it's still still at play, right? Well, we never know what's going to happen, but uh, it hasn't been established yet. It's good to see, it's good to see all these people moving towards it though. Like, right. I, I, I remember, uh, was it last year? Uh, and I met Francisco in 21. He was talking about it back then in 21, but it's good to see all the progress that he's made just in the past year. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do you like working, uh, with Carlos and, uh, Francisco on the, uh, right. How do you like working with them? Uh, well, I worked, I've been working with Carlos for two years, three years already. Yeah. So this is not my first time working with Carlos. I, I hired Carlos when we were working at Verify. He was a senior software engineer at Verify. Yeah. That was back in early 21, I think. Yeah. And then we hired, we, or late 2020. And then Carlos went, came to uh, with us to bowl Bitcoin. Oh, okay. And now we work at Yopaki. Francisco, I met Francisco two years ago when I was here in Austin. I, oh, I think really? at the Austin Bitcoin Club. Oh, you met him at ABC? One. Yeah, yeah. I think I met him at the second one. Or, yeah. Did, or that's, so, you, so, yeah, so you met him at the same time I did that. Yeah, I met him. Oh, at, wow. Yeah, at the same time I met you and the same oh, okay. time you met him. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah, but I, I had kind of, I didn't really, I kind of, I, you know, I, I remembered his face and didn't remember like what he was doing, what he was doing exactly, because we just met a lot of people at those meetups at, at that time. Yeah, uh, so many people. Did. <laughs> Remember that? How, how crazy it was? Jeez. Yeah, those were good days. Yeah. And then we got talking like a year ago. We started talking, and we've been talking, talking more and more ever since. And we started working. So I now I have a great uh, connection and synergy with these guys. We we make a great team together. You guys do? Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just getting getting you guys in the lab this past week and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be good. I can't wait to see what you guys, uh, what you guys launch. In, Thank uh, you, Car. Inside El Salvador. That's going to be awesome. I love working at the Blab Lab. You do? Yeah, of course. Ah, oh, dude, thanks. Such man. a good energy. It's good energy, good. right? Everybody yeah. gets along with each other. Yeah, everybody gets along. It's really nice. Yeah. The party was good on Fridays. Oh, man, the party was great. Um, I was going to ask you what, um, you know, yeah, we can move away from this, but just want to ask a couple more things. Of course. What do you got, uh, what do you got planned for the rest of the year? Just like your own personal, you know, Bitcoin journey, as far as like, uh, more writing, more, more, I know you were doing a podcast for a little while. Yeah. Um, you know, and then what, what, what's, uh, what's Matrick and Tristan up to? What are they doing? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So personally, um, I tried doing a podcast. I didn't really enjoy it to be honest. Why? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm bad at scheduling, you know, calls with other people. Um, 
I, I, I really don't like video editing, audio editing. <laughs> I don't like audio management either. <laughs> Dude, you have to like love, you have to love all those aspects of it. What Did I you love, not know that? I love or? talking. I love talking. <laughs> I love doing podcasts. I love, you know, I love being interviewed. Yeah. So I, I like doing podcasts. Because I love doing podcasts so much, I thought that I would love hosting a podcast. <laughs> but then I realized it was not the same thing. No, but I not. love writing. Writing is definitely... Yeah, you're a great writer, man. Thank you. Uh, I have way many more things coming for the writing. What uh, else do you think? Are you thinking just more really doubling down on the Mexico market as far as uh, writing about For it? sure. I will definitely write more about Mexico. But I write some technical things about Bitcoin as well at Wasabi. Uh, I will keep on... Even if uh, I will keep on writing technically uh, on Bitcoin, I will... I like writing about uh, like like human science, you know, like social sciences stuff, like history, geography. You know, my Mexican articles are about that. So I wanted to, to take a look at El Salvador as well in kind of a similar perspective. Other countries such as Argentina, you know. Oh, so you're thinking are, about just covering all of like Latin America and stuff? Yeah, I think eventually. so. Exactly. Exactly. So, but yeah, but uh, spending my writing, keep on getting improving as a writer. Uh, going to more conferences. So now we're going to El Salvador. I'll be uh, in Costa Rica in January for the Freedom Festival Bitcoin Conference. Uh, I'll probably be here for Bitblock Boom, Nashville in July, you know. Yeah, just, all the uh, normal things, yeah. Prague in June, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Bitcoin Conference, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely hitting uh, many conferences. And I guess that's it, you know, just focus on uh, your packy. Working at Wasabi. How's it like working at Wasabi? I like working With, at Wasabi. It's, yeah. uh, it's. I think Wasabi is a very interesting project, a very interesting product technology. Uh, there is some controversy with some things that they've done. I understand them. I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I, I like. I enjoy my my job at Wasabi of uh, technical blog writing and helping with the marketing planification. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think just your writing is just, it's incredible. I, when you were doing the pod, um, I was like, I was telling Francisco, because this is, yeah. you know, we would just talk to each other and I was like, hey, uh, Gustavo's doing his pod now. He's like, yeah, uh -huh. did you watch it? And I was like, yeah, he's, he's doing it. And I was like, you see his, oh, his writing's coming. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's just something about when you do the, the pod and the writing, it's just like the one, two punch. It just, right. there's something about that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think, uh, you know, if I, it's also about the time, right? Like I, I don't have a, I don't have a, you always think you have more time than you do, you know? So you're always excited about so many things that you can do. Yeah. But then uh, I, I guess if you don't do them all, it's okay too. Right. But with yeah. time you understand to, to know better how much time you really have and what are the things that you really love to do. Well, it sounds like you're doing all the stuff you really love to do these days. Yeah. Yeah. I try to. Yeah. Um, I like traveling too. Yeah. Yeah. Which fits well with the conferences, you know, it yeah. just gives me opportunity to travel. Are you going to have uh, papooses when you get to El Salvador? Of course. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, there's nothing like Mexican food and, really? Peruvian, and Peruvian food. And Peruvian. What's, what's your favorite? Uh, what's, a, what's a good Peruvian plate? Uh, this plate called Lomo Saltado. So it's uh, like uh, filet mignon. Uh, I forgot how we, we say it in, in English. Uh, just basically beef with uh, like onions and 
cooked in like a soy sauce and you know oh, a lot of spices. Sounds and, like fajitas. Uh, it's that like a fajitas, version. but like an upgraded version of fajitas. <laughs> it's basically an upgraded version of fajitas with uh, rice and, oh, and fries. Rice. We don't we don't eat bread. So it's just rice much. and uh, what? Rice fries. Fries? Yeah. Oh, and uh, and the meat. Just with like the papas or actual French fries? Actual French fries, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. pretty good. There's there's so many plates uh, in Peru. Ceviche is a classic, right? Oh, how do you guys make your ceviche? Yeah, with... we make the best ceviche. I know, but how though? Like, is it with, uh, I've seen all sorts of different versions. With uh, lemon. I know, but with lemon, do you guys put tomatoes in it? No. No, just lemon. Um, do you uh, like use fish or shrimp? Fish. Okay. White fish, lemon, uh, potatoes, sweet potatoes, what? corn. What? Uh, yeah. Really? The, the potatoes don't get soggy? No, but you got to put them at the end. Oh, uh, so it's you kinda... don't you don't mix it up. You just put them on the side, you know? Oh, okay. So it's kind of like the way we do. We'll do ceviche here in like South Texas, but we'll put, you know, uh, we'll slice up some uh, avocado. Right. Like and we'll dice it, it and we'll put it at the very, you'll put on the tostada and then you'll put, do you guys use tostadas? Or? Not really. Oh, wow. Well, you you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. With a little corn as well. Corn too? Oh, yeah, but I'm not, you, a, I'm not a very good cook to be honest. Dude, you need to try my ceviche, bro. Oh yeah? Yeah. You're, I can make ceviche. I can make ceviche. There's only a couple of things I can really make. It's like ceviche is one of them. Okay. And like pastor tacos. Oh. And like, that's okay. pretty much it. You should make it though. Yeah, I'll make some ceviche before you leave. Okay, okay, good. But yeah, but basically I'm not, like I like pupusas, but I'm not that impressed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Swing it, swing it higher 